All right, so as the door to uh, Dean Petrov's op office opens, um, it's a beautiful wooden door. In, in spite of her anxiety, Cecile catches this. It's, you know, it's a beautifully carved, exquisitely carved wooden door, um, obviously natural. It swings open to reveal a, a uh, somewhat austere, minimalist, modern office. Um, there's a huge wooden desk facing the door with its back to the corner. Um, the walls are glass. Um, the corner walls are glass with a, uh, at any other time of year would probably be a beautiful view across the sound. But as we said, it's raining. Um, behind the desk sits Dean Petrov. He's an older human male, um, short, dark hair, um, a rather hard looking nose and, uh, seated rather casually on the side edge of his desk is a, uh, a woman of Asian descent, probably Chinese. Um, she is wearing her hair in a bob as well. Um, and uh, she's impeccably dressed in uh, a fairly high fashion business uh, skirt. And as you enter, she smiles at you and stands up and reaches out or extends her hand towards you. And she says, hello, my name is Alice DeVry. I represent pleasure to... Oh, A pleasure to meet you. And uh, Cecile will take her hand and do a slight bow. So that you take her hand. And Dean Petrov stands up and he says, uh, yes, Miss uh, Cecile. Um, it turns out that we have... Um, the opening um, at another facility, and we need somebody with your particular talents there. Um, Ms. DeVry manages this facility, and uh, she is going to escort you there um, and uh, explain the duties of the new role when you get there. I hope this is not too much of an inconvenience. Um, unfortunately, you will um, have to give up some of your role here. Um, however, I assure you that your new duties will be equally as fulfilling and will continue to count towards your studies. How um, fortuitous. This sounds like a great opportunity for advancement. Thank you. Alice smiles at you um, very charmingly. She's obviously uh, well-trained in etiquette, and she says, Cecile, I've heard so much about you. Um, it will be wonderful to have you join my team. I will explain um, all of the details as we go. Um, I have a car waiting for us outside. Do you have anything that you need to gather from the lab? From the lab? No, I have everything here in my bag. Ah, very practical. I would have sent somebody to go get it. For Do you have any questions before we leave? Oh, no, I think, I, uh, I think we'll figure it out on the way, won't we? Exactly. I'm so glad you understand. Dean Petrov looks at Dr. L and says, uh, Peter, could you just hang on for a moment? And the, uh, the old orc looks at you rather pleadingly and then he sort of shrugs and his shoulders go limps and says yeah and uh 
Alice DeVry sort of motions, you know, does the sort of go-ahead motion towards the door for you, Cecile. Cecile moves that direction as gracefully as she can in this moment. Would you like to make another composure test? Let's. One. Ooh, your, your ability to keep it together is uh, faltering. Maybe in, you know, maybe that look that you got from Dr. L sort of put a crack in it or something. But yeah, um, we're going to cut over to our other runners who we've been neglecting. Um, and I am going to say that um, we're going to reconvene with them at this point where they are um, gathering in the alley behind the soy bucks across the street from the campus. Um, like I said, it's still raining. Um, it's a it's actually more of a mix of rain and sleet at this point. And um, even though you are downtown in the uh, the richer part of the area, this alley is not um, is not necessarily pretty. There's there are quite a few dumpsters and trash, and it's you know so where the the various businesses take out their refuse. Um, there aren't any homeless people. There aren't any devil rats. There aren't any ghouls, obviously, because it's downtown. Um, so in that sense, it's probably better than you know. Auburn or Redmond or any of the other places outside of outside of downtown in Bellevue. Um, um, Kirsten is uh, standing by the uh, Soybuck store. Um, let's see, do we have a handout for Kirsten? Do right. She's dressed in uh, very very fashionably for a uh, a young student barista. Um, you can never tell with them whether they're going out to a club or for a coffee or what's going on but um she's waiting for you oh. and as soon as boxer sees her you remember now you remember the whole the whole thing of how you met her back here um that uh the creepy uh the creepy uh corp man had had you had seen him already approaching her as she was uh fulfilling her duties as a barista inside the soy bucks and you could tell that she had brushed him off and he hadn't taken it kindly and he had waited for her in the back alley. You remember now that you had, you had followed him into the back alley. You know, it was obvious to your trained eye that he had was going with ill intent. And sure enough, when she came out, um, to, uh, to throw away some trash, um, he had accosted her and, um, you had been compelled to step in and knock him on his hoop. And, um, he had fled after a couple of, rather succinct threats from you. And uh, that's when you had exchanged numbers with Kirsten. So you're, you're pulling in with your bike at this point. Okay. Am I taking it from here? Yeah. Um, probably electric. So I don't get to describe the roar of the motor. Oh, well, and she's not obnoxious enough to well, add that in. Actually it comes standard on most uh, like bikes that you would buy that are like for racing or combat. Might not necessarily sound like an internal combustion engine unless you wanted to give off that kind of retro vibe, but you probably have a, a more modern sound like the whine of a turbine or or something else like that, like a jet engine, you know, spooling up. Mm -hmm. It is fake. It is a fake sound, but everybody does it. <laughs> Fair enough. The uh, roar of the motor fades in, grows louder, and dies within a quick period to Kirsten. 
boxer, of course, hasn't been hearing too much of it, her dutifully worn motorcycle helmet protecting her ears. She keeps it on as she dismounts, checks herself, pats her chest to see what to check her vest, avoids studiously patting her hip to check her weapons. Speaking of which, what what gear did you bring with? Uh she has the she has the Yamaha Pulsar and the Okay. The Yamaha Pulsar, the Mercy Elan, which is the uh, holdout pistol. That one's sneakily stuck in a boot. And the browning holster at her hip. Or wait. It's like concealed. Is that the concealed holster? No, it isn't. Huh. That one's not like it's not hidden like the other ones, but it's not exactly advertised either. It's kept beneath the jacket. Okay. I mean it's it's fine. It you know, most people a lot of people will be carrying weapons as it is. Um it wouldn't be a problem unless you got stopped and asked for, you know, a license or something like that. Definitely does have a license for that one. Anyhow. So there you go. All right. As soon as you you enter the alleyway and get off your bike, the young woman um, jumps up from leaning against the wall and, and rushes towards you. And I'm so glad you came, uh, Boxer. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do, um, but my friend is in, in deep trouble. Uh, she looks a little bit uh, hesitant. And then she says, yeah, my friend Cecile, um, I have a feeling the corp is going to get her today. I heard something that I probably shouldn't have heard. And I saw something that I shouldn't have seen. I can't quite explain it to you. I, I'll explain it to you later. But um, she pulls up her comm link and she shows you a picture. Um, and it's a picture of Cecile. So you said dark hair, right? Dark hair. Uh, chestnut brown. Chestnut brown, shoulder length, Bob. Shoulder length, Bob. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Kirsten's obviously taken a uh, a picture of Cecile at some point. Um, looks like she's wearing lab attire, and uh, it's in in some kind of lab. And she says, uh, "Evo's got a couple of um, corp security people in there, and um, they called her to the dean's office, and I." think they mean her no good and at that point um grace's van pulls into the uh into the alleyway and grace you see um you see the person that you know as as boxer or ollie um standing there talking to a young human woman Mm, i uh this is like in the middle of the day right it's raining but it's the middle of the day people are out on the streets uh how i I, the the we're in a back alley right you're in a back alley it's just the two of them if we can make that work she's like 90 10 this is a trap 10 percent something weird is just going on and she's getting promoted it's a very odd promotion very odd people indeed yeah it's not what you expect from eve they tend to be all about the you know the sort of kumbaya kind of situation but you're not getting that vibe here. Although, to be honest, uh, yeah, you didn't do a uh, judge intentions on Alice. I was gonna. All right. It's too flustered. Maybe when we get back to uh, to Cecile, that's where we'll pick it up. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the moment, we left off with Grace's van pulling into this rather, for downtown, um, rather dingy and, and messy alleyway. 
um, and she sees she sees the person that she knows as Ollie and Boxer standing talking to a young human woman who seems uh, somewhat distraught. Uh, Nightingale, she she pulls up in her blue. Um, let me see what it's called exactly. Her blue bulldog step fan. Nice. And uh, stops. Pulls it to a stop. The engine is quiet. It's very humble looking. It looks like something a suburban mom would have, with the exception of the very, very dark tinted windows. <laughs> There's like a vague bit of a movement visible, but it's not immediately apparent what is inside or how many people are inside. The driver's side uh, just so happens to be facing away from them. And Nightingale, she opens the door uh, with her magic, falls out on to the wet concrete. She is wearing uh, her cloak and some some warm clothes underneath that. Her her practitioner's cap and some little bootsies to keep the soles of her hooves from freezing. She goes to the uh, other the side door. That's not the driver's to that leads to the driver's seat, but the the back seat. And she grabs her saddlebags and uh, some other loose objects that she had just tossed back in there whenever she'd. Uh, so, yeah. You know, one thing that we didn't do in the beginning, uh, you described what Nightingale was doing, but you didn't actually describe Nightingale herself. So, um, I'll do that. Yeah, give us a description of Nightingale and. You know what? How she is actually manipulating? You know, for example, the saddlebags or the doors and things like that. Okay. Whenever she opens the door, she's just using like a, a tug of telekin a psychokinetic force on the handle and pulling it in, and then budging it with like effectively her shoulder, her side to get it open, and then she pushes it again with a hoof. She falls onto the the concrete, kind of half. Um, it's a half fall, half uh, awkwardly gripping onto the seat as she does. First, her hind legs hitting the ground, and then her forelegs. Um, and she goes to the back, the the side door. As I've been saying, is there another word for that? Passenger side. Well, the passenger side's on the opposite side of the driver's seat. I mean, the the back seat, the door for that, the sliding door, the sliding door. Um, she pulls it open, she gathers up her saddlebags and some other things that she'd thrown back there, pulls them on. She's using her, her magic and thus her eyes very studiously to track it as she motions it up uh, around one side underneath her cloak and then the other and then buckles it underneath her. Um, I imagine uh, it, may, it may seem like there's... Um, there's someone like gathering up, like a like a like a, a scary shadow runner gathering up Kit when she, while she's doing this. Um, Does the magic um, have any physical manifestation? Visible? Not that they can see. There there is the the glow of the magic and also the tinkling sound, but in the cacophony of the rain and Seattle's sounds, it's not easy to see. Um, maybe the faintest, like, glimmers of blue in nearby reflective surfaces away from 
like on on that side of the vehicle, perhaps. She uh, and she 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 pulls on her saddlebags and she closes it, throws it shut by uh, pulling on the handle, and she promptly steps around. And I imagine at first it seems almost like a like a dog, like a large dog, but a dog, in like a poncho for rain. But there's no master following after it. It's this small quadrupedal creature in a black coat with some kind of broad-brimmed hat, which doesn't make sense for a dog. Uh, and she she trots up. I I imagine the little clip-clop of hooves against rainy concrete is very distinct from what you would expect from a dog or a person. Again, she's alone. It's alone. She's not How's... looking up yet. The, the brim of the cab hiding her face, and then whenever she gets up... Has Grace ever been to downtown Seattle? Yes, I imagine so. Okay. Um, so as you approach um, Boxer, you, you see Nightingale approaching. Um, you see the little horse that you've they've interacted with in a rather surprising manner before approaching, and uh, you see that she is um, she appears to be fully kitted out, and uh, for a moment, the scene, you know, the incongruity of the scene strikes you, and then almost immediately that impression goes away again um, as you turn and look, and uh, Kirsten is looking rather surprised and then she looks at you boxer with a sort of questioning gaze and you can tell she's she's thinking what what am i looking at what is going on here i did tell you to expect a magically active compatriot i did not tell you to expect a metahuman the people we have to work of they can be unusual <laughs> not that i can talk anyhow to continue and uh she's she's dressed meticulously it's unusual for her she has some sort of fabric some sort of fabric pulled over her tail so that it's just um homogeneous black no fur she has gloves on uh the kind you would expect not of a motorcycle rider the kind with two fingers the thumb and the pointer cut out as though they were intended to be used for a rather decidedly different purpose. Uh, the helmet's still on, though the face shield has been pulled up, and those luminous eyes are visible. It's at that point when, it, while, while Boxer is saying this, that Nightingale looks up at her, like up to her face, and I imagine her entire face is visible before her gaze sweeps over, forward-facing like a predator. Over to uh, Kristen. That's her name, right? Kirsten. Kristen. Kirsten. Yeah, it says it Kirsten. says Kristen, but it's Kirsten. Kirsten. Okay, Kirsten. Um, and it's still really confusing what she's looking at. She can obviously now see the uh, the spiral horn sticking like out of her forehead. The the very big fluffy ears which twitch and are are swiveled. They seem like they swivel to, to the sounds of the two talking. Her eyes are huge. They they look human, but they're huge and uh, very. I don't know. 
um her face like her snoot her actual snoot it looks like <laughs> god took, god took a normal animal and then like pushed it in the snoot into its face and then kind of like curled it up a little bit so that it wasn't really sticking out so much as like sloping as as like a chin like there's there's no chin there's just a slope that leads up to the nose um with a mouth between the where that slope meets the neck and then goes up to the very nose of the snoot. Okay. Yeah. Kirsten is looking at you with wide eyes and, and seems to be just looking back from you to Boxer and back at you. And, and uh, she's having a little bit of trouble. Woman, I am a walking, talking cat. Just get on with it. We probably don't have much time. Sleep. She... Oh, yeah, wait, job, work, yeah. Nightingale speaks. <laughs> she speaks. It's it's coherent. <laughs> um I, I do I do have some questions though. I've never seen a metahuman uh and she just kinda gwalks. The uh sorry, hang on a second. Uh, Kirsten makes a composure test and gets five hits. But on her hits what a tolerant individual. And then you see she's just sort of, she does exactly what Boxer says. She sort of does a, gives herself a quick shake and, you know, refocuses on what's actually important. And uh, without thinking, she reaches out a hand to, uh, to Grace and, and says, I'm, my name's Kirsten. And then she sort of awkwardly pulls her hand back, realizing that it's not going to work. Um, Nightingale, she says, uh, I would shake your hand if I could but I would fall over. Sorry. Okay, so what I was telling Boxer, and she looks at you again, and, and she says, okay, so you, you can understand what I'm saying. Um, mm -hmm. What I was telling Boxer is, my friend Cecile is in grave danger. I, look, uh, she sort of resigns herself to, I, uh, I'm not just a barista. Um, I have other jobs, and part of those jobs leads me to, to hear things. I know that uh, I, f I found out that uh... <gasps> Nightingale realized something. She put two pieces together in her head, and it all started making sense. And she just nods very emphatically. <laughs> Kirsten goes on. She says, um, "Yes. Yeah, so the the company that we work for, um, that Cecile and I work for, Evo. Um, I think Cecile." stumbled into something she wasn't supposed to, um, and they're going to make her disappear. They've sent somebody um, by the name of, she looks at her comlink, Alice DeVry. Um, and as from what I know, she's high-level Evo secured um, counter uh, intel. So, so Evo are... Uh, are, are, are... I'm sorry. Uh, Han, you cut out. Um, is this is this better? Yes. So Evo are the rich people that pretend to care, right? That's them. Okay. And your friend, what what, what does she do? Not what did she do? What does she do? Like what what what's her her uh, her job? She's an intern like I am, and we work in the lab. Um, but um, Cecile's a lot smarter than I am. She's uh. She's got an internship. She's studying. Uh, 
I don't, I don't even understand what she's studying, but, uh, she's helped me out a number of times and, uh, she's, uh, she's studying, she's doing magical research for Evo and, uh, I just do data entry. I don't, I'm not that smart, but, uh, but she's obviously gotten herself into some trouble. Um, this woman, Alice DeVry has been sent with a security team to the university. Um, and I believe, I expect, obviously they're not going to do anything to Cecile on campus. So um, they are going to take her somewhere else, um, wherever, where something can happen that, you know, I don't know. But I, I don't, if Alice DeVry, if this DeVry woman is involved, nothing good is going to happen. But um, I'm afraid we, we're we really short on time. We need to get over there. And uh, uh, Okay. Um, I can take you there. I can show you where the lab is. And I can, uh, if I have to, I can get you in the door. Got it. So, so just, just so that I understand... We are taking, is she just a magic researcher or is she a, ma a magician? You know, she makes a, a motion with one of her hooves lifted off the ground for a second, mimicking. Oh, yes. Um, digital formulae poorly. She's definitely, she's, she's a, uh, she's a mage. I'm not a mage. She's a mage though. Um, that's, that's why she's got the, the, the position in the lab that she does. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, uh, you you have a vehicle you can take us in. I don't have a vehicle. It's right across the street. We just need to go out of the alley, around, and we'll be on campus. Oh, oh, okay. Um, well, lead lead the way. Uh, right, we're going on campus. Um, she so, looks she looks at you and she says, "I don't know how this is going to work." Okay, I'm going to disappear. Um, I will still be with you. I will not, you will not be able to, to perceive me, and you should not perceive me. Do not worry about it unless you hear me, you, you feel me, like, poking at your, your mind or something, trying to get your attention. Which, it wouldn't even be poking, I would just be talking to you. Um, but and she, like, again, motions with a hoof at her head, like, in, in your mind, you know. Are yeah. you going to cast mind net at this point? Uh... How does sustaining multiple spells work in this, in, in 4E? You just take the modifier for each. So it's minus, is it, don't you, can't you sustain one without the modifier, or is one already? That is with a uh, quality up to a certain force rating. Ooh, no, she's not going to cast it. She's, she'll, she'll save that for, uh, for if she has to communicate something. All right. Boxer, anything from you? Boxer, not <clears throat> Boxer, not long impatiently, as though like everything were going unbearably slowly. And then she whispers, or no, she speaks directly to Night. I guess still Grace. To Grace, I want you to be on the lookout. <clears throat> I want you to be on the lookout for any of their astral defenses. I can almost assure you that they'll have a spirit floating around somewhere, and I would not be at all surprised if they had a single wage mage around. Actually, maybe more than one. Either way, what I want for you to do is make sure they don't make us into a problem for the security. Ideally, they will never know we are here. Got it? 
Sure. Good. And uh, yeah. at that point, but Nightingale disappears. Yeah. Like at first, her her body just goes, just like there's a there's a there's like a, a click, and her body's invisible, but her eyes are still like translucently visible for just a moment before they're also gone. I oh god, that's disorienting. All right. Kristen, lead the way, and if you can, try and get a fix on Cecile's location. I would prefer not to be walking in without at least knowing where she is. Kristen pulls out her comlink again, and she uh, calls Cecile. And Cecile, as you're walking out of the office with uh, Alice DeVry behind you, your, your comlink goes off again, and you see that it's Kirsten calling you again. Like phone call? Yeah, like a, a voice call. Cecile declines the phone call, but texts back. Where are you and what did you do? Because <laughs> you're in AR, right? So mm-hmm. you're always in AR. Almost always. Sometimes Cecile has like one of those mindfulness moments where she turns off AR. <laughs> Sorry. Imagine turning off your AR in the 21st century. Anyhow. Oh, okay, so you text her back. What do you text her back? Where are you and what did you do? Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, you immediately get a text back, and you guys in the alley, you see her first calling and then texting back. She says, I didn't do anything. This is all on you. I told you to come out to the soy bucks right away. How was I supposed to know it was that important? I told you it was life or death. You said nothing of the sort, or if you did, you were incomprehensible. Well, it is life or death. Where are you? I'm with Miss DeVry. She's taking me to a car. There's a moment's hesitation in the text, and then um, Boxer and, and Nightingale, Kirsten says, curses, she says, Drek, DeVry's got her already. We're going to have to move quickly. And then she texts back to Cecile, don't trust DeVry. Should we take the van? No. Um, she says, we're, we're almost there. Okay. I should note that while this is happening, Cecile is asking DeVry very pointed questions like, oh, so you said you liked my work. Uh, what, what parts of it did you really enjoy? Um, somebody, so she's been, she knows her stuff. Um, she's obviously been briefed. Mm-hmm. extensively and she has um she's able to answer you quite coherently on what's going on um what she what you know has attracted the corpse attention about your research and how you've handled it um the fact you know your diligence um and your magical abilities have not gone unnoticed does it sound evilly or does it sound like you know standard corpse does not sound no it definitely does not sound evil evoe evilly that <laughs> was a Freudian slap yeah doesn't sound evilly evilly oh, she's okay. uh she does not sound uh she doesn't have that sort of um very stilted um saccharine evo Since... approach to communication would Cecile have had enough interaction with Evo to know that they don't do like 
hey, meet the boss type shit? Yes. Okay. So Cecile would have known immediately that something was up. The, the idea she- that you're going to meet the boss is rather ludicrous. I mean, the idea, I mean, even meeting the dean was pretty far-fetched. And the idea that you're going to get, you're being promoted to a new lab at Eagle. You, know, you, you just showed up at campus two months ago. Okay. Yeah, no, I meant more that the fact that Eva only goes to their HR department. Like you don't even. Oh yeah, you would never go. Yeah, exactly. And that is actually, okay. I think, canon. Everything goes through the HR department. Yeah. Okay. So Cecile knew right away that like something's fucking up. <laughs> yeah, okay. something's definitely. So, okay, mm. where were we? Uh, you're heading out. You're texting with Kirsten, and so Kirsten. Boxer and Grace, you guys are um, hurrying across a, a rather busy street towards the campus. Um, beautiful campus. Uh, Boxer, you've seen. I'm not sure if Grace has seen the, the campus before. Beautiful campus, beautifully manicured um, lawns and planted areas, um, lush trees, statues that are all of this, all of the statuary you can tell is is corporate sponsored. You know, Aries logo, Shiawasi's logos, you know, all of the all of the, the the Big Ten are located on campus, and you know have their and you see that Kirsten is headed towards a, a larger um, modern building, um, white and glass. She's pulled her jacket closer around her and uh she's looks back at you in at boxer um she can't see grace obviously can't see nightingale and she's looking at the building she says they're in there um they're gonna have a car or a vehicle somewhere here um probably in the parking garage back there um i don't know i don't see where the security is but uh she looks at boxer again i don't know what do you think should we attempt to get her away here in the lab or, or on the way to the parking garage or in the parking garage? Uh, if I know anything about how this place is built, says Nightingale, a disembodied voice, um, uh, the garage would probably be a good idea because otherwise we're going to have to go through a lot of people to get to an exit, whereas the garage will go straight out onto a main street. Or at least the uh the lot of the college no oh yeah we can try that um i'm not uh i'm i don't know anything about these kinds of situations she looks at boxer again um you're obviously the uh the most combat proven person here so she's looking at you for guidance did we lose valerie i think we did how about now god i was saying whole things (laughs) don't you hate that I love it when that happened. It is amazing. Anyhow, okay, tracking. All right, Kristen, I need you to get your friend broadcast their location somehow. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to find them in this sprawl. Fucking crush or not. All right, Kristen shoots Cecile a quick text. Um, can you broadcast your location on your pan? Cecile? <clears throat> Cecile, I mean... Say again? <laughs> uh, you're, you get a text from Kirsten. Can you broadcast your location so that we can find you? Cecile does that immediately. All right. Um, Kirsten shoots, swipes the uh, the location tracker over to Boxer. 
I should ask, um, are are there guards with or with Cecile and Debray? Yeah, so as you exit the uh the office and um are walking down the hallway to the wards the reception desk, you realize that the two um security officers that have been flanking the door are, are following you. Mm, okay. Um yeah, so uh you get into the elevator with DeVry and um the two security guards come along too and, and DeVry gives you a, a reassuring look and says um it's my security detail. I there are no current threats, but the uh the company insists that I, I have them with me at all times. Of course. It's just good sense. This part of Seattle can get kind of bad. Yeah, except for they're wearing Washington University uniforms, mm-hmm. not Evo uniforms. And she's obviously Evo, so there's that. Mm-hmm. All right, so um Kirsten swipes over the location trackers of Boxer and Nightingale. Um and you can see that the uh the ping, the pin is coming from the uh the big glass building right ahead of you. Um uh so there are a couple of uh, entrances from it and walkways, you know, cement walkways, planted areas around. And the on your AR, you can see that um, there is a parking garage um, a little ways on the other side of the building. So you'd have to pass the building to get to the parking garage. All right. We need to double time this one. I want us to get inside of that parking garage, and I want us to have ambush positions so that we can get them once they're inside and relatively isolated. And oh. you, Kristen, I assume you are not the sort to fight, so I want you to find somewhere safe nearby us, and, well, I don't expect you to do anything. Um, as you're running, so make a, make a um, I guess it's a perception check. Um, Take a quick look at Kirsten. You just do a perception check. And uh, yeah, why not? But perception is it just rolling perception? Wait, I'm just gonna press the button. What does this do? Okay, cool. It, it does cool things. Uh, I can only roll. Who die? This is so sad. This is so sad. I'm going to cry. Did you remember to change the attribute with perception? Because it's automatically like willpower or something. I don't know. No, I'm looking at my, uh, what you call it. Well, there's a button. Just press the button. <laughs> it's an active skills. P, perception. Oh, I got one hit on that. Good job. Um, <clears> which, <throat> talking about that, I, I think I'd want to start actually perceiving at this point, which I think gives a minus two after this check, a minus two to all physical perception checks. Okay. So, boxer. Um, on a closer look, as you as you're telling Kirsten to to find a safe place, you're taking a closer look at her, and you're realizing that that stylish jacket that she's wearing is armored, and that there is a weapon underneath of it. All right, I'm gonna interrupt my older, less perceptive self. Uh, what did I say exactly? Find a place out. You are a bit better equipped than I expected. She look, gives you're the one paying. You don't have to do anything you don't want to. Cecile's my friend. She's right. helping me. I'll, I'll help her now. And right. uh, Nightingale, you got one hit on two dice. And as you're listening to Boxer start to tell Kirsten to 
maybe find a safer place, you get the impression, not quite as detailed, but you do get the impression that uh, Kirsten isn't completely defenseless in this situation, even though she looks like she would be. An admirable trait, she continues. <sighs> All right. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry. Tell me that's a non-lethal weapon. Otherwise, well, it gets complicated. Kirsten grins again, and as she flashes open the jacket, you see that she's carrying a uh, a, a taser. <laughs> Nightingale, you're uh, you're perceiving astrally now. Yes. You do see a couple of Watcher spirits um, hovering around the the Evo building. Um, they aren't paying any particular attention um, to you. They're not. Uh, Nothing's look focused on you at the moment. Uh, um, boxer. Uh, there's watchers, like, all around in the air. I don't think they're paying any mind to us right now. I just uh, nothing. I can specialists tell me what they're doing. They Basically, look like they're guarding the evil building. Think of them like magic cameras. I can deal with cameras. That's why we're getting out of sight. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'll follow. All right, so now you guys are hustling, uh, right, for the uh, the parking garage. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> okay, so when you get into the parking garage, yeah. think of it as a, your standard parking garage layout. How, what are you going to do? All right, friends, this makeshift team of runners seems to be closing in on the girl Cecile's location. Are they going to be able to rescue her? Does she even need rescue? Let's find out in the next episode. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, subscribe or let us know that you enjoyed it or any of your other thoughts. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. The Tops Company, Inc. has sole ownership of the names, logo, artwork, marks, photographs, sounds, audio, video, and or any proprietary material used in connection with the game Shadowrun. The Tops Company, Inc. has granted permission to the Hard Knock Sorority Podcast to use such names, logos, artwork, marks, and or any proprietary materials for promotional and informational purposes on its website, but does not endorse and is not affiliated with the Hard Knock Sorority Podcast in any official capacity whatsoever. The music for the Hard Knock Sorority Podcast was written and performed by Trace Mineral. The Hard Knock Sorority Podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons License 4.0, meaning you are welcome to use the material as long as you give us credit.